The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Here we go. We're going to talk, talking to students about the existence of God. All right, the main, the main reason I want to, I want to have this conversation is that we are, we're seeing in church culture right now that it's really popular to, um, to deconstruct the Christian faith. Now, there's a guy, and um, he's in out west. He's at Western Seminary. His name's John Mark Comer, and he's uh, talking. He's using a lot of this uh, language of deconstruction. And the way that his mind works is he's saying that we everyone needs to deconstruct in what he says is a healthy way. So we need to make sure we're getting everything out of church culture and Christian culture that isn't actually Christians, not from the Bible. Okay, so I get that. But the problem is there's a lot of people that are taking his idea towards deconstruction and they're then deconstructing historic Christianity. And so, and this is, this is really unfortunate that this is popular. This is trendy for Christian, uh, for people who've been in the light as kind of Christian celebrities to... Um, to say, I've now deconstructed. I mean, I think uh, like Joshua Harris, who was, when I was growing up, was really prominent, young, talented dude, is now, he's no longer an evangelical. No long, he says, it, in the way that I would define it, I would no longer call myself a Christian. Um, and then, what was it, maybe three weeks ago, um, the DC Talk, uh, Kevin Mac Smith, he said, that he is an ex-evangelical, and, uh, and this is really disconcerting. And what's really frustrating is that what's happening is totally inconsistent. So what I want to do is I want to talk about, uh, we're going to get kind of nerdy, which is not a good thing at this time in the morning, but we're going to talk about theories of truth, specifically what the way in which you understand what's true, the way in which knowledge is conveyed. And then I want to talk about different worldviews. And specifically, I want to compare the Christian worldview to the atheistic worldview. And I think this is really practical. In fact, last Friday night, I had a really long conversation with a student who told me that he was an atheist. And I was like, okay, great. Um, I get that, but let's make sure you're not just going to be a lazy atheist. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, what books are you reading? which usually is, you know, crickets, right? And he was, this kid was super honest. He's like, well, I've watched some YouTube videos. And I was like, okay, great. Let's go from there. Because when we're talking about worldviews, for something to be a consistent view of the world, right, to actually provide a framework for, every, for human experience, right, it's got to answer um, a series of questions, which we're going to talk about. Um, and it has to do so based on a good foundation. And so you have to have a foundation for what you believe. And if you're going to be a responsible adult, you have to give an answer for why. You always have to give an answer for why. This is something that um, I, you probably wouldn't have guessed this. Um, I was a really annoying child. Um, I know, big surprise. Um, teachers were always annoyed by me. Because in every situation, I was asking the question, why? Always. Well, why? Well, why are we doing that? Okay, this is good. Yeah, but why? Tell me why. Because in my brain, if I have a justification for the why, then I'm, I'm in. 
I'm, I'm not necessarily rebellious per se, unless there's not a reason. If there's a reason, then I'm a, I'm a strict rule follower because it makes sense to me. Oh, well, we're going to do it this way. I'll tell you why. Here's the reason. If I don't have a why, then I'm inherently a rule breaker because I think if you can't explain to me a justification for why I'm supposed to do what you're saying I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to listen to you, which is not always healthy. Um, but I'm trying to, that's what I'm teaching my children. I'm teaching my children to ask the question, why even to me? Because I want to, as a, as a parent, I want to provide that justification for my kids. So if I, and I, but I'm also trying to teach them that there is, you know, I, they need to uh, obey immediately, right? So I'm, I'm teaching my kids if they, if I ask them or tell them to do something and they don't know why to say, yes, sir, daddy, why? Because I want them to, you know, immediate obedience, but then I want them to require justification uh, from me. So, and the, the reason, okay, and the, the main reason why I'm saying all of this is because these students that we have who are walking away from Christianity, they're doing so in a way that I think is lazy and cowardly because they're not actually rejecting everything that Christianity has to offer. What they're doing is they're rejecting the foundation. I'm, I, I no longer believe in a God, but they're still accepting and living their lives through all of the things from the Christian worldview that they want to continue to retain. So they still want to think that they have meaning and purpose in their life. They still want to hold other people to a standard of morality, but they're doing so, they're doing so based on the foundation of a Christian worldview. If they're not, they're not, um, they don't have enough confidence, they don't have enough character to say, okay, I reject everything from the Christian worldview, and I'm going to build up the, front of the framework from an atheistic mindset. And so what what I want to do, I think, is really helpful is I'm going to, uh, when we start to compare Christianity and materialism, um, I've got a bunch of quotes from materialists, from atheists, who are expressing their worldview. And I think that they're the ones seeing it so clearly. But the problem is, in, when, when, it comes to the, when it comes to worldviews, Christianity, when it's lived out most consistently, I believe makes the most sense of the world in which we live in. And when atheism is lived out the most consistently, it makes the least amount of sense in the world we live in. All right, so here we go. Um, here we go. We have to realize um, that our beliefs need to be held together in a consistent worldview, right? We're have, we need to have consistent worldviews that make sense, that don't contradict each other, but also make sense of the world in which we live in. And we can't just pick and choose what we want from each of these religions. We can't do that. We have to have a justification for it. We have to have a reason for it, all right? And so I want, I want us to uh, help students, to help challenge students to think consistently about their worldview, the way that it interconnects, because it's all interconnected. It, if there is a God, if there's a God who created this world, then that leads to a completely different picture of every aspect of the world in which we live in than if there is no God, right? And so what we need to do is we need to talk about consistency both inside and out. What I mean by that is consistency internally, that we, we need to make sure that whatever worldview we are holding to, that it makes sense internally, that it's not contradicting itself internally. And then we need to see, does this make sense in the world in which we live in? 
right? That's, so, that's super important. Is this practical? Can, it, can you live it out? And not just can you live it out, but are you living it out? And we need to challenge students to self-consciously live out what they say they believe, right? Whatever it is. And so like it, with this conversation that I had with a student um, uh, last Friday, it was really encouraging because he started to see like that he didn't have really good answers. And so we left that conversation and we didn't leave with him converting to Christianity, which would be amazing, but we left with him saying, oh man, I've got a lot more questions that I need to answer. So here we go. So let's look. First, we have to look at um, uh, the fact that the goal is to uncover the truth, right? Whatever it is in the, in the lives that we're living, we need to uncover what is real, what is true, what is right, okay? The problem with this is that our, um, our society, because of what we talked about on Tuesday morning, right, with the rise of critical theory and deconstruction and postmodernism, that, that even academically people are saying it's okay to hold to a relativistic understanding of truth that doesn't apply to everyone, but that's just not practical. Let's look real quick. There's three different theories of, tr- theories of truth. Um, the first two, pr- the pragmatic and the coherence view of truth, these are postmodern ideas that are trying to take hold in the academic world but, but can't, um, can't be sustained sustainable academically. Um, and then the correspondence view of truth, which is what we've held to um, for thousands of years. Um, so let's look through that real quick. The pragmatic approach to truth. This is, truth is whatever works for you. If it works for you, it's true. Like this is my truth. This is true for me. Um, if, if it's practical, if it works, then it's true. The problem with this is that it makes it totally subjective and you cannot have rational conversation if, it's, if everything is subjective, right? Because there's no way of, if, I'm, if, if every truth and meaning are subjective, then it's, truth is only what exists in my mind, and there's no way that, I can under, that, that you can understand what I'm thinking, right? And, and if it moves from me to you, then it's no longer subjective. I'm then, I, I can say this is true for me, but then, I'm, then I hold it out to you and say, and you need to respect my view of truth, well then now we're, it's not subjective anymore. Now it's, you're applying it to everyone. But the foundation is your own mind, your own thinking. That's not, that's not practical. What about the coherence view of truth? The coherence view of truth is that a belief is true, um, a, a belief is, is true just in case or to the extent that it coheres with a system of, it coheres within a system of beliefs, right? Is it consistent? Does it make sense? The, this is a good test of truth, but it's not a good foundation for truth. Right? It's a good test of truth. So if something's contradictory, it's not true. If two things inside a belief system are contradicting themselves, then one of them has to be false, right? But you can't say, oh, well, this is super consistent, so it must be true. No, that's not the case. I think about uh, Tolkien's world of Middle Earth, right? He created a super consistent world that's still not real. Now, pause for just a second. Tolkien was one of, like, he was a brilliant guy, but that dude was weird. Um, I mean, he had this whole world inside his head. I can't imagine what that is like. I mean, he had history, he wrote histories of the world that he created. He, if you look in the back of, like, the Lord of the Rings, I, this is, I'm reading this to my kids right now. We read through The Hobbit, which was wonderful, really great book to read with kids. And now we're reading through The Fellowship of the Ring, which I realize is not a really great book to read with kids. It is. It turns out it's slow and boring. Um, but anyway, it's a great story. It is. It's just slower. Uh, I, he, he'll, take, he'll take four pages just to describe the landscape somewhere. And I'm just like, oh, man. 
And well, I'm reading to an 11, nine and seven year old. So that's part of the problem anyway. Um, but in the back of the book, he's got like uh, verb charts for Elvish. And it, so if anybody has ever come up with a consistent world, it's Tolkien now. But OK, I did watch an interview once. There's some interviews, recorded interviews with him. And uh, somebody asked him, is there religion in the world of Middle Earth? And he's so weird that he answers it by saying, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he said, we do see in like the first age of Numenor that there is a ruined temple. So maybe something and I'm like, no, 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 you do know. <laughs> you, you, he's, he, he, that guy lost himself. He lost himself in that world. Anyway, anyways, all that to say, real consistent, coherent, but still a fairy story, all right? Um, and then there's the correspondence view of truth. This is what everybody has to fall down to. I mean, you, you, have, to fall, you have to fall into this. Everything else cascades into this. The correspondence view of truth is it's something that's true in so much as it corresponds to reality. Even when people are saying that they hold to a coherence understanding of truth or a pragmatic understanding of truth, at the end of the day, this is what they're holding on to. They're holding, am I right there? Yeah, this is what they're holding on to. They're, they're making true statements about the world. They're saying this is the way the world is. That is inherently a correspondence understanding of truth, which is great because that's what we need, that truth is what it, what it is. The, the world is the way that it is. Nothing that you think about it is going to change that. It, it, and, and that's what Francis Schaeffer would talk about, is how our goal is to, is to, is to uncover what is true truth. Right? Really true. All right. So when we think about this, in light of this, we look at worldviews, right? So there are questions that every worldview must have an answer to. And I'm not just making this up. Basically, I'm saying uh, if you look at the way the world is, if we're going to have meaning to it, we need to have these questions. One, origin. Where did everything come from? Right. Specifically, where did the material world come from? Where did stuff come from? Because up until the 50s and 60s, it was okay to believe that the the material world has always existed. But now with the confluence of basically um, philosophy and mathematics and science all coming together and saying, oh, there had to be a beginning. That's a big deal, because if the universe hasn't always existed, that it came into existence somehow and something did that. But what? Right? That's a big deal. Right? We need to have an answer for that. If you're going to say this, you have a consistent worldview, you have to have an answer for origin. Also, identity. What does it mean to be a human being? Do human beings have value? Do they have more value than other animals? Do they have more value than other products of evolution? Well, you have to have an answer for that. Right? Because all of us live in a world where we ascribe more value to human beings, specifically ourselves. Right? The fact that you got up and you ate and drank or you put on clothes, you're saying that you have value. The fact that you look both ways before you cross the street, you're assuming your value. But why? Where does that come from? Uh, purpose. What, you know, do, do you have purpose? Do you have significance? Do you have meaning? We all live as if we, if, as if we do. But do we? And if so, where does it come from? Um, morality, is there right or wrong, good and bad? If so, what's the foundation for that? And again, we all live as if there is some sort of standard of morality. That's what's crazy is that when we look, we look through these questions, there are answers that every human being assumes to make life livable. Right? We assume that there is right and wrong, good and bad. We assume that we have value and that we have purpose in this world and that other people have value and purpose. We're assuming that. But the question is, what worldview makes the most sense of that? 
This is super important because, again, my fear is that we have students that are rejecting Christianity. No, there is no God, but they're still living their lives as if there is a God who has given them meaning, purpose, and value and has orchestrated their lives in such a way that there is right and wrong, good and bad, and they can hold that standard to other people. Okay, so, and the last one, destiny, what happens when I die, right? We're all going to die. What happens then? All right, so case study. We'll go through Christianity real fast because this is what we all believe. If not, we can have a conversation afterwards. Um, origin, we believe that God is an eternal transcendent being who created everything. Right? There's a bunch of passages of Scripture. The notes are on the app. You can look at it later. You know, this is what we believe. And I think that the natural world tells us this. I think that we can see from the natural world, just by looking at the material world, that we have a contingent universe, that there's a contingent, meaning everything is dependent on something else, and that, it's, and that it's temporal, that it came into existence at one point in time. Now, if that's the case, then there, the cause for the universe cannot be the universe itself, right? If, right? if the material world cannot cause material. Now, that it's crazy because there are some thinkers who have tried to say that, but that's just... That's silly, right? Something can't cause itself, right? And so if, it, if, it, if there is a cause, then that cause itself, that cause could not be material, right? Because we're talking about the origin of material universe, then it has to be an immaterial cause. And if it's an immaterial cause, then it needs to actually be a being, not a thing, because being, beings are what do things, right? So we need an immaterial being that's eternal, right? If it's creating basically time as we know it, and all-powerful and really, really smart. All right, now that doesn't necessarily say the Christian God, but it comes real close. So then that's what, that's what we believe, and that's what, that's what the Bible says. Now, a little time out real quick. There are, I, I think that Christianity, the Christian worldview, makes the most sense, is the only worldview that makes sense of the world in which we live in, but that doesn't mean that it's easy to believe. All right, I still think that Christianity teaches some crazy things that are hard to believe. Are you telling me that there is an invisible, immaterial being that's always existed, that spoke, and the material world came into existence? Yes, I believe that. Is that hard to believe? Yes, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Do I believe that this God who created the world also decided to enter into the world and become a human being? Absolutely. Lived a perfect life, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Yes, I believe all of that. Is that hard to believe? Absolutely. It's because it's a miracle. But I think it's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense in the world in which we live in. All right. What about meaning? We believe that human beings are, from page one, right, are eternal souls created in the image of God. Why, do, why, do, why is it okay to eat cows and not humans? Well, because human beings are created in the image of God. That's why, right? If We'll get to it next. That's Christianity. Uh, what about purpose? We've been created by God to give Him glory through our obedience to His will, right? This is, so do you have a purpose? Yeah, absolutely. You were intentionally created by God for, with a purpose. What about morality? Is there a standard of morality? Yes, it's based on who God is because He created us in His image, has written His law on our hearts, and He's explained it through His Word. This, all this makes sense to me. Why do I think that I need to live by a standard of morality? Because God's created me in His image and has written out how I'm supposed to live. Why do I apply that to other people? Same reason. 
right? What about destiny? I believe, we all believe that when human beings die, they will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. That there's something more to us, that we're not just material, that we also have an immaterial aspect of our lives. Because we're image bearers of God, we have an immaterial soul that is, that's going to last forever somewhere. We, that's, what, that's what Christianity teaches. All right, so now let's, and I think, the, I think some of those are very hard to believe, but they provide, they, they make the most sense when they're, when they're understood correctly. When Christianity is lived out most consistently, it makes the most sense of the world in which we live in. Now, let's go through, and I'm not, again, this is not me trying to throw atheists under the bus. I'm not trying to pick some random blogger who doesn't know what he's talking about and say, look, this is what, this is what they say. They're idiots. I'm using like published works, tenured professors. Okay. So let's look as far as origin goes. Um, there's no consensus. To me, this is a red flag, right? Do you guys believe in stuff? Yes. Has this stuff always been here? No. How did it get here? Mm. Isn't that I mean, to, the most honest answer that an atheist has for the existence of anything and everything is, I don't know. And to me, that's not enough. That doesn't provide what uh, philosophers call explanatory power, right? Because let's look, let's look at some of their own words. Uh, Richard Dawkins, you guys have heard of Richard Dawkins. Probably he's like the coolest atheist out there. Quit his job as a professor at Oxford to travel the world to tell people that there is no God. Isn't that dumb? Right? Uh, Doug Wilson's a pastor in Idaho, and he says that there are two chief tenets to the new atheist worldview, and that is, there is no God, and we hate him. <laughs> and I think he's dead on, right? Because it, what, how do you find purpose in that? What's your purpose? My purpose is to tell everybody that there is no God. They're just sitting there being all happy, having reasons for living, and I think, no. <laughs> I want to take that from you. Don't you know? That's wrong. Who cares? Right? Who cares? Why, why, does Dawkins, why does Dawkins care if I'm just living my life all happy over here? Even if, it, if it's based on something that's not true. If the pragmatic understanding of truth is fine, then just let them live. All those Christians are over there being happy, doing nice things to other people. Just leave them alone. Right? Instead, we have to say no. And it turns out, in case you're wondering, that uh, when uh, Richard Dawkins was younger, he, lived at, he went to a boarding school, and he had been abused by people who said they were Christians. I get that. I get it. Yeah, I see the anger. But let's, let's be honest about it, okay? So let's look at origin. He says, however probable the origin of life must be, we know that it happened on earth because we're here. Thank you, Richard. And then... Um, this, if you ever watched Expelled, it's probably like 20 years old now. It's a, it was a documentary talking about intelligent design in colleges. And uh, Ben Stein, you know, Bueller, that guy, uh, put it on. It was really cool. He, but he asked Richard Dawkins about origin of life on Earth. And I thought that he got him. I thought, man, there's no way he really believes this. Look at what he says. He goes, well, it could come about in the following way. It could be at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved, probably by some kind of Darwinian means, probably to a very high level of technology, and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Which, 
in layman's terms, means it was aliens. Which, again, you have to think, uh, that's, he's stretching the bounds of naturalism, right? This seems a little more supernaturally. And what's the next question you have to ask about these aliens? Yeah, where'd they come from? And what's crazy is I, I watched this and I was like, oh man, I can't believe he looked like an idiot. I can't believe he said that. And then it turns out this is kind of his go-to answer. And it's, uh, uh, I, to my knowledge, he's basing it off of uh, beliefs held by one of his heroes, Francis Crick. You know, uh, Crick and Watson, the guys who um, recognized the double helix design of the DNA. Um, he held to this. It's called directed panspermia, which sounds a lot more, a lot smarter than aliens, but that's... Uh, that's kind of his go-to. Um, and uh, Richard Dawkins has a good friend named Lawrence Krauss. I don't know if they're really friends, but they started an organization together called the Origins Foundation. So these two guys trying to figure out, they've got PhDs, they're super smart, right? So they, uh, they're, they're trying to figure out where, how did the, everything come about? And Lawrence Krauss, he basically says that the universe um, was started by nothing, that nothing caused the universe. And we, can, we, we know that because our picture has changed completely because we change what we mean by something and nothing. And basically, if we can talk about nothing as if it's something, perhaps it is something that could do something or it could do everything, right? Because it's weird. You can't change what you mean by something and no thing, right? Nothing is one of those rare words that has the definition of it. I mean, just in the word itself, what is nothing? It is not a thing, no thing. Can not a thing do something? No, right? But look what he says. He says, and it's hard for me to read this because I'm kind of sarcastic. Um, I don't know if you picked up on that. Um, he says, nothing is far more subtle than you might imagine. Again, he's going to be describing nothing. Just so you know, what he's describing is nothing. He's using adjectives to describe nothing. Okay. Um, in the Bible, uh, nothing would have been a vast, e e eternal, empty universe. That would have been, you know, a void. Well, that kind of nothing, right, as if there are types of nothing. I get it, whatever. Um, that kind of nothing we now understand, namely empty space. If you get rid of all the particles and all the radiation, that kind of nothing is actually quite complicated. I'm sorry, Larry. What's complicated? Nothing. In the modern universe, it's a boiling, bubbling brew of virtual particles popping in and out of existence on a time scale so short you can't see them. So there's nothing there. But actually, lots of stuff is happening. You just can't see it. And that kind of nothing, again, that kind of nothing. One remarkable thing we've learned is that kind of nothing is unstable. What's unstable? Nothing. What created the universe? Nothing. Got it. You guys, does it make sense? No, of course not. And again, we're changing, we're, he's changing the rules. I mean, he's equivocating. He's saying that nothing is something. Well, then then now you've, that doesn't answer it because now you still have something. Where did that something come from? I, if you're saying these are particles popping out of existence, right? Where did they come from? How did that happen, right? Give us the origin of that. Uh, what about identity? Um, what does it mean to be a human being? Do you have value? Well, no, of course not. 
uh, Loyal Rue, he wrote a book in 97 called By the Grace of Guile. He says, the, and he bases it on his Darwinian understanding of the world. He says, because we found out that, that everything that came into existence was accidental and now uh, everything and has just evolved into where we are on time plus chance plus survival, this is the view of the world that we have, right? The universe is blind and aimless. It has no value in and of itself. It is, and that means anything in it. Do you have value? No, zero. It is unenchanted by forces, qualities, characteristics that might objectively endorse any particular human orientation toward it. The universe is dead and empty. It is void of meaning. Its significance is not demonstrably one thing or the other. The universe just is. Now, time out. He's absolutely right. You understand that? If you hold to his understanding of Darwinian evolution, if everything is just a product of natural causes, time plus chance, based on survival, then he's right. There's no value. You don't have value. You're just a material effect of a material cause. Nothing. You have no, what does it mean to be a human being? Nothing. Nothing, nothing demonstrably more than what it means to be anything else. Right now, this is where I get, I'm super frustrated. Because if you assume that you have any type of value, then you hold to this understanding, you're being a hypocrite. And that's where, you know, the, the biggest, um, the, the, the best argument, the best objection to Christianity is when people say, well, Christians are hypocrites. And you know what? They're right. There are many people who say the name of Christ who do not live, who, who don't live according to it. And they're talking about, um, they're talking about, you know, morality, right? People who say that they should have a Christian morality and they don't live it out. Yeah, that's hypocritical and it makes Christianity less believable. That's right. And that, but that's one area. I don't want to minimize that. That's, that's wrong. That's sin. Stop it, right? Uh, but that's one area. For the atheist, the atheist is saying that their lives have zero value and meaning and purpose, but they're living as if they do. Right? Um, look at Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins says about identity. He says the universe, and he's saying the same thing that Loyal Rue has, right? The universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind indifference. DNA, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Do you have any significance? Nope. What is the world? What, what, DNA, what your DNA says it is, right? It's physics and biology. That's it. But, okay, but are these people feeding themselves? Yeah. Do they have jobs? Are they trying to make money? Are they trying to convince you of something so that they can make more money off of it? Yeah. Do they have health insurance? Yeah. I mean, this, that's hypocritical, right? They're, they are ascribing value to themselves when they don't have any. That doesn't make sense. But what about uh, a little bit more? A guy named Stephen Cave. He's a... Uh, He's a British philosopher. Um, he's, he says, basically, you have zero significance whatsoever. He says right now that there's an agreement in the scientific community that the firing of neurons determines not just some or most, but all of our thoughts, hopes, memories, and dreams. All right, do you see that? All of your thoughts, hopes, memories, and dreams, what are they? All they are are just you know, electric synapses firing in your brain. That's it. And here's the deal. It has to be. Do you understand that? 
Because like we were talking about on Tuesday with uh, that this is a materialistic world and a materialistic world is a closed box and the significance, the value and everything has to be found inside that closed box. Right? There's nothing outside that gives you value. And if you're saying that everything here is just, uh, there was a big bang, and that, that after that, everything is just causes and effects, then that's all they are, just causes and effects. So for you, the, your thoughts, your hopes, your memories, your dreams, all of that, those are just electric synapses in your brain, and they have zero significance. He says, the contemporary scientific image of human behavior is one of neurons firing, causing other neurons to fire, causing our thoughts and deeds. Any, any of your thoughts, any of your actions, you have nothing to do with it. It's been caused by these neurons in your brain, caused by other neurons in your brain, stretching back, um, back to our birth and beyond, specifically to the first event, to the Big Bang. That's it. Do you have human responsibility for your actions? No. Right? When you tell someone that you love them, that you care about them, that you're afraid of this, does that have any meaning? No. You're just doing what these synapses in your brain told you you have to do. This is also something that Richard Dawkins holds, holds to, that, he, that um, Francis Crick also held to, which is, um, uh, it's called materialistic determinism. Materialistic determinism. That they have to believe that everything that has happened had to happen. Everything that's going to happen is going to happen because everything is just a series of material causes and effects. All right. What about purpose? I'll give you a hint. The answer is none. Um, Alexander Rosenberg. He is a uh, he's a professor at Duke University, and uh, which if, I don't know if you noticed is like a really smart school, right? And he wrote a book called The Atheist Guide to Reality. And in this kind of rant, he's telling you exactly what he believes about the world. And I think he's right. If you have his worldview, this is where you have to end up. All right. Um, what's the nature of reality? What physics says it is. What's the purpose of the universe? There is none. What's the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? Is there free will? Not a chance. What happens when we die? Everything pretty much goes on as before except us. What's the difference between right, wrong, good, and bad? There is no moral difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you, makes you feel better than being immoral? Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, pain taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory? Anything goes. Let's let, just take a second. This is a professor at Duke University. And he's saying, is there any difference between any action as far as morality goes? Nope. And he's right. You understand that? If you have his worldview, this, the atheistic, materialistic worldview has to end up here. When it's, when it's consistent, this is, this is where it has to be. It has to be here, right? So any type of morality that you would say, you know, oh, that's right, that's wrong. All, you've, all you can say is, well, I don't like that. I don't prefer that. I prefer that people not rape and murder little children. I, I can't say it's wrong. Nothing, I can't say anything's wrong. That's crazy, right? What, do you have a purpose? Do you have meaning? Do you have significance? Absolutely not. Uh, continue on, more morality, a guy named William Provine. He was a professor at, at uh, Cornell. Cornell, Ivy League school. Andy went there. I mean, it's smart. That's what I did there. It's early still, guys, fine. Um, 
We're almost done. Uh, he says this, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. That's the end for me. There's no, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no human meaning to life, and no free will for humans either. Amen. That's awesome. Bow your heads. Let's pray. You know, I'm like, that's not, is that exciting? No. He's saying there's no purpose in his life. Okay, but he lives as if there is. He wrote this book, and he's assuming that you can understand what he's saying and that he is helping you understand the world in which we live in. He's giving value to you and to himself and to his words. I mean, hypocrite, right? What about destiny? That's the last thing, right? A couple of these guys have already talked about it. Stephen Hawking, one of the smartest dudes who's lived in our time. He says, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's a fairy story for people afraid of the dark, right? And he has to say that because if everything's material, well, when the material dies then there's nothing. But what's crazy is that no one lives as if their life doesn't have significance that's going to last. Everybody is living, whether they admit it or not, they're, they're living for a reward to gain and a punishment to flee from. They are. And let's be honest with ourselves. And that's where I'm so frustrated with so many, so many people who are leaving Christianity because they're doing so and they're trying to hold on to all of the good stuff in Christianity. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the bottom line is that the, the Christian worldview, oh, oh, I think I went, oh yeah, when Christianity is applied consistently, it makes the most sense of the world around us. It makes, it makes life livable. When atheism is applied consistently, it becomes less and less, visible, uh, less and less livable. The Christian worldview provides explanatory power for the world in which we live in. It provides a basis for why we are here, why we have significance, why we feel like we have value and purpose, why we live with a sense of right and wrong, and a reason to live our lives productively. In short, it answers the question, why? Christianity has explanatory power that has answers for the world in which we live in and the way that atheists are living their lives. You understand that? Like, we get it. We have a basis for morality, and we know why atheists are still trying to live to be moral. Right? They're not being consistent. They're going to say that, you, that there's no human responsibility. They'll say that you have no free will. But if you hack into their, their bank account and, and take all the money that they have, they will say, who's responsible for this? Well, no one is. This is just neurons in my brain that's firing. This is just DNA. I'm just dancing to its music. You can't tell me that anything that I've done is wrong, right? And you can't say that I have, I've taken part in that. But they're still choosing. They're still choosing to do things and believing that that has significance. They're still saying that they have significance, and they're assuming you have significance. That's why they're spending their lives telling you there is no God. Isn't that fascinating? And so not only do we have an understanding for the world in which we live in, but we have an understanding why non-believers are acting as if Christianity is true, even though they're denying its foundation. It's such a big deal. And so when we're talking to students about this, man, uh, yeah, so we, with students, we need to address these difficult issues now, right? They're in, their, in your ministries, they're sheltered to an extent where they can ask difficult questions and we need to prepare to give them good answers, right? And let them, let them ask now. Let them struggle now. Let them question these things now. Don't hide these things from them. Don't hide potential um, questions that would derail them. Bring it out now so that you can do it in a proper way. You're going to get attacked. Okay, good. Thanks. Here's the way you're going to be attacked. Okay, great. Let them know that. 
and help them. Help them to think through the Christian worldview. Help them, um, help them to find answers for the, que- for the questions. Why? Right? Help them. Help them to, say, to see that, okay, the way that we are living our lives, this, this corresponds to the Christian worldview. If you are going to reject that, you reject it all. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to borrow from Christianity to make life livable. That's cheating. You're not allowed to do that. You've got to have your own questions. There's a, an old pastor joke about how, um, how there's all these uh, chemists and physics that are meeting with God. And they're trying to say, we figured out how you did it all. And he's like, okay, that's great. So let's start. Let's, let's create human life. And like, well, we saw how you created humans from the dirt, so that's what we're going to do. And they reach down and pick up some dirt, and he goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to bring your own dirt. You know, because it's like you can't, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to just borrow whatever you want from the Christian worldview. You can't just do that. You can't say, oh, well, that's wrong. No time out. Uh-uh. No way. I can say that's wrong, but you can't. In fact, that conversation I had with that student, and then we'll be done real quick. Um, on Friday night, he said, we had really good conversations. I was like, what you're doing is you're trying to use things from the Christian worldview to then say that God doesn't exist, but you're using stuff from Christianity. He said, he said, yeah, like, I don't see, how could God be a loving God and still order the, the people of Israel to, to kill everyone in Jericho? And I said, okay, so... This is, you're dealing with like a, this is like a good and evil, right? This is kind of the problem of evil. Well, what's your standard? How are you, how, how do you have a right to say that God, that that was bad for God to do that? And it was awesome because he said, uh, yeah, because of the Christian ethic that I've been raised with. I was like, that's exactly right. And I said, I don't have to answer that question because you don't have to write, you don't have a right to answer that question, but I will. And then I was like, and then I just explained, you know, God uses We see God using nations to execute his justice against other nations. But in that, he always provides grace. Like, for instance, Rahab. It was perfect that we use the illustration of Jericho, right? Because God exercises justice against a pagan nation and exercises grace by bringing this woman's family into God's community uh, and becomes the great, great, great grandma of Jesus. So it's like, uh, see this? So that's loving, right? loving by pardoning a guilty person because they put their faith in him? Yeah. And so it's crazy because what's happening is so many people, they're trying to take things from Christianity and then use that as a weapon against Christianity when they're disarmed. They don't have anything, right? If there's no meaning, no purpose, no value, right? If there's no right or wrong, then you can't say, oh, because this is wrong. I don't believe that. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. So we need to challenge our kids. Man, think consistently. If you're, because you're going to have this year, guaranteed, every one of you is going to have someone in your ministry that's going to say, "I just don't think I believe in any of that. There is no God." Okay. Well, if you're going to do that, you got to be all in, right? You got to be all in. These are your heroes. We've read, we've read them. They're telling you there's no purpose in life, but those guys are hypocrites because they're living as if there is. Be careful, right? And then, um, hopefully, in our teaching students to ask questions why, they're gonna, we're going to lead them to the truth. And I believe that. I believe that when, if somebody is searching for the truth, that it's going to lead back to Jesus. Why? Because that's what's true. The Christian worldview provides the actual history of the world in which we live in. Right? We, I really do believe that. There is an eternal God who created and revealed himself through his word. There's no other option. That's the nature of truth. Truth is very narrow. And that 
This truth is found in Christianity and in Jesus Christ alone. All right? Let me pray for us, and we'll be done. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.